Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Call Michael now. 041-983-2000. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Wednesday morning, the 6th of December. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The government cannot offer accommodation to applicants for international protection. As it says, there is nothing available. As temperatures drop and winter grips the nation, a distressing situation unfolds on the streets of Dublin. The government's response to the accommodation crisis has left many vulnerable men with nothing but tents and sleeping bags. This makeshift solution deemed unavoidable due to the overwhelming influx of people raises serious questions about the welfare and dignity of those people who are seeking asylum. Since Monday, all of the men who have arrived here have been given a tent and or a sleeping bag and left to fend for themselves on the streets of Dublin. Nobody can stand over this way that Ireland is treating people, but the government says it has no choice because of the huge numbers of people arriving here. There is real concern for these vulnerable people, however, and not just because of the impossible position that they're being put in to during sub-zero winter months, but also because of the very recent attacks on asylum seekers who were attacked and had their tents burned out on Sandwich Street. And that's before we even mention the riots that took place in Dublin on the 23rd of November, which really showed the ugly face of the far right and anti-immigrant sentiment. Let's speak to Nick Henderson, who's the CEO of the Irish Refugee Council. A very good morning to you, Nick. Thanks for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. You've written to the government and reminded the government of its obligations. Yeah, we uh, are writing to government uh, to, to remind, as you say, them that Ireland has legal obligations under domestic law, under Irish law and international law to accommodate people who come to Ireland to seek protection um, if those people don't have the means to support themselves. Uh, so we, we've also given uh, two sets of recommendations. One set of recommendations around preventing homelessness. Uh, so we can talk about that, but that's things like trying to see and check with other government departments if there's capacity or accommodation that they have. And then the other set of recommendations is about what should be offered to people who are not given accommodation. So things like the, the support that they would receive 
and so on. Mm -hmm. So it's a really concerning situation. We would have spoken, Michael, in the spring about this several times when uh, around 1,400 people were homeless. But as you said at the beginning, the top of your piece, there's a a set of circumstances now that give us greater cause for for concern. And you're asking the government to do everything in its power to prevent this uh, from happening in as many circumstances as possible, to leave no stone unturned looking for possible places that people could put a roof over their head. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We we recognise that this is a, a, a difficult situation, it's an emergency situation, but we do think that there's capacity in the system, by that I mean... Uh, government departments, as I say, whether they have accommodation that they could pass across to the Department of Children. In February of this year, Minister Roderick O'Gorman wrote to other government departments to ask for accommodation. And it was the same set of circumstances then, uh, in that people were were homeless. And he got one reply. Um, And we just don't think that is reflective of what is within government's grasp. We believe there could be uh, properties, HSE buildings, OPW properties, uh, and so on, that could be used on a temporary and emergency basis to accommodate people and to prevent that to prevent them being uh, being mm. homeless. Tents, even uh, I take it as uh, horrible uh, as uh, the prospect of sleeping in a tent uh, in. Uh, the middle of winter would be for most of us. Uh, I take it it would be preferable to the streets. Yeah, exactly. So it's, you know, we've criticised the use of tents by government to accommodate people several times. And we visited tented accommodation uh, recently uh, and last year. And it's very grim. And it's particularly grim in this weather. And we had cold, very cold weather over the weekend. And last night I was out in my garden doing something and it was really cold evening, really cold. The tents uh, are far, far from ideal. Uh, but at the very least, they would, uh, if they're in a in a setting and in a in a in a in a separate space away from the public and the street, uh, with uh, access to showers and toilets and so on, at least at the very least, it would bring people off the streets. Um, I don't like saying that because we've opposed them uh, since, and we would have spoken about this, you know, but as far back as. I think July 2022, they began to be used for refugees from Ukraine. So we've opposed them all along, but something has to be done, we believe, to prevent people having to sleep rough in Dublin uh, against the background of cold weather and the riots Hmm. uh, on the 27th. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, uh, we're uh, talking about a vulnerable set of uh, people Uh, Any of us are going to be at risk on the streets, but unfortunately the reality of the situation here is uh, that there's a lot of hatred uh, which has become very obvious uh, and has uh, become violent and we're putting people in risk basically, aren't we? Yeah, that's that's the point we're making uh, to government that uh, while this is a minority and it's a very small minority of people, uh, uh, there is a risk uh, that if people did have to sleep rough because of their identity, because of who they are, uh, they, they would be targeted. And we don't say that lightly. Um, and we say that in the context of the burning of tents and on Sandwich Street mm. in May uh, and uh, the uh, riots in, in Dublin in November 
and on that evening, on the tw- I think it was the 27th, on the 27th, uh, two refugee accommodation centres were attacked. One, was, one I, uh, the Irish Times reported, attacked with a petrol bomb. So even when people are behind, behind, you know, bricks and mortar, uh, they still suggest that there's a risk. Now, I don't. I think it's careful that we don't overblow this and say mm. that the streets of, of Ireland are hostile to people seeking protection. That's not the case. No. We've spoken about this. How people are welcome here. Well, the vast majority of people are, are exactly. happy to welcome people here. Yeah, there's yeah. no doubt about that. It's just mm. that there's this very uh, vocal and minority that is of great concern. Mm. Uh, well, we've uh, all become very concerned, uh, somewhat more so uh, over the course of uh, the last couple of weeks uh, because of what we saw in Dublin. But this accommodation crisis, Nick, uh, it is an emergency, uh, as you say. Is it a surprise? Did we plan for it? Should we have expected it? I mean, we're dealing with large numbers of people coming to this country now for a very long time. Yeah, we are. And I think it's important to remind ourselves that this is an exceptional period. There's the the confluence, the meeting of two different crises, one which is the war in Ukraine, which is a, you know, people describe it as a once in a generation war on Europe's shores. And that's resulted in a huge number of people leaving Ukraine to other countries, Ireland included. And then secondly, after COVID, when travel was shut down, people began to move to seek protection and there's been greater instability, wars and so forth uh, around the world. That has, has And countries across Europe and the world have seen an increase in, in this situation. So it's the confluence of those two things. Uh, and, and then throw in a reliance on what we would describe as emergency accommodation, so that's hotels, uh, older buildings that are refurbished and so on and not creating and uh, building dedicated reception capacity. Uh, and I think we're starting, not starting, we are now paying the price for that. We're, 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 we're in a almost like a vicious circle where we, the government have relied on emergency accommodation. Um, one department has delivered that, has been given the responsibility for delivering that accommodation. Um, and the more mm. that you use it, the, 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 the less resources and time you have, uh, if, particularly if it's one government department doing it, you have to create medium and longer term accommodation. Okay, so as you say, uh, you're asking the government to do everything in its power to prevent people from having to sleep on the streets, to find somewhere they can put their head down for the night with a roof over their head. But in the event, uh, as we've already seen this week, where that isn't possible, if that continues, you want a policing and security plan put in place. You want people to be protected uh, if they are in tents on the street. Yeah, that's one of the recommendations we make. Uh, On Monday, there were 32 people who were not given accommodation. We don't know the figures for Tuesday uh, yet. Uh, and we do recommend that there's some sort of security plan for people. Uh, The Irish Independent reported on Saturday that uh, refugee accommodation centres, the International Protection Office, would be receiving increased police patrol, so it makes sense that people sleeping rough would receive that. One of the problems is, though, is that where where do people go? And our experience of this Mm. situation in the spring was that people... Uh, kept their heads down for quite long periods of time and it was really only till later in March and April that people began to congregate uh, together on the the Dublin streets um, particularly on Mount Street and then Sandwich Street so 
it will be a difficulty to identify people, we think, but if we can, they should be protected. But it is a, it's going to be difficult uh, mm. to provide that 24 hours. And rough sleeping for anybody, for you or I or anybody else, will always be have a, have a degree of, of risk associated with it. Mm. Yeah, and uh, you'll still need to, to survive somehow. Um, of what are you going to eat and where are you going to eat? Uh, and this comes down to the level of welfare being given to people uh, in this situation or in accommodation. You're saying, though, that in, in this situation they should be given full welfare rates, €220 Euro or, or thereabouts, I take it. Yeah, that's a figure that we, we give. Um, we, and just rem- to remind people that they would be, this is what, your listeners, this is what somebody would be expected to live on for that week. Um, so that would be all their meals, um, a jacket, um, any medicine that they may need. Um, right. uh, well, what happens jumper. now? I mean, as you say, there were 32 people on Monday and quite mm. possibly some more since then and undoubtedly more going into the future given what government has been saying about this, although the government has said uh, it will try to take the type of steps that uh, you've been talking about to find somewhere for people to go. But uh, if somebody arrives to the country today and yeah. they're told, I'm sorry, there's nowhere for you to stay, what happens next? We met somebody in our office yesterday in that uh, in those circumstances. They didn't receive a leaflet, as far as we understand, but they should be receiving a leaflet that gives uh, directions to two day centres in Dublin uh, that do amazing work, very busy centres. That, that at at them, they people could receive a meal, I think a shower in one location, um, some tea and coffee, and so forth. There's also uh, instructed about a medical centre that could that they could apply to be seen at, and how they could get something called the additional needs payment, uh, and that they I, we understand we don't know this for sure, but I think they're going to be put on a waiting list for accommodation, um, and and that's it. That's the, that they're 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 sort of on their own thereafter, mm. and that was certainly our experience of the spring okay. that they are then out to fend for themselves on the streets of Dublin. Okay, because they're talking about giving them €75. Euro, but... Yeah, that that's in the pipeline, we understand, yeah. from media reports. And I think that would be €75 euro plus the what's described as the daily expenses allowance of 38.80. So what would that be? About €120 or €130 euro a week to, to, to live on. That's your three meals a day, uh, warm clothes, medicine, so forth. Mm. Uh, mobile phone credit if you can if you to if you if you if you have a phone and so forth. Well, you'd have to beg, wouldn't you? I mean, you just wouldn't. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're asking yeah. people we're asking people to go sleep on the streets and beg. Yeah, and you're putting people just in difficult and vulnerable situations as well. We had some experiences in the spring of people having to, um, you know, engaging with strangers, trying to to, to avail of sort of one night temporary sofa surfing type arrangements. And they got. There were some experiences that were quite difficult for people, uh, and you are opening up people to some to exploitation if if, if this happens. So, uh, on a variety of fronts, it's of great concern. But the actual lived experience of being on the streets in Dublin after the riots, with cold and sometimes freezing weather, mm. uh, without enough resources to, to provide for yourself, is really of of great concern. It's, it's in our work, our 30 years of work, this is probably the moment where we would have had uh, a greatest concern uh, about a system that, it, it, in effect, is, is broken down.
And I, I take it that a lot of the people that we're talking about um, have fled countries that are at war, where there's civil unrest, uh, and may be very traumatised. Uh, and there's no prospect of psychotherapy. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, no no prospect of that. That would be further down the pipeline. Uh, those mental health and support services are already very stretched and you would probably need to be in accommodation to begin availing of them. So, yeah, people coming from a variety of situations and backgrounds, mm. experiencing uh, harm and persecution in their own country, then mm. traveling, maybe experiencing trauma and journey here, and then getting here and finding this situation. Mm. And that, know, could, that, 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 that could result in those people being a risk to themselves uh, and others. I mean, that seems very irresponsible of the state. Um, yes, yeah, I think it certainly presents a risk to people's health. You know, we worked with people in the spring who were very resilient, shouldn't be forgotten. Mm. Uh, people got through it. It was very difficult. Um, I do have worries, though, that this time, Michael, around that the because of the, the cold, but in the colder weather alone, you know, yeah. is mm. much, much, it's so damp, um, you know, three or four degrees uh, at night. Mm. Uh, and that, that doesn't seem to be accommodation in the pipeline from what we've heard from government that would uh, that 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 brings a solution to this crisis. Yeah, I that, know. I've been also of concern. Carrying something the last few days, and uh, I just can't get the, the heat into me. I, I know I was looking at the yeah, living room temperature yesterday at twenty one yeah. degrees in the living room, and I was shivering. You know, with blankets on me and that sort of thing. Uh, just yeah. you know, just one of those winter things. But my God, the idea of sleeping on the street. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's minus five. Damp. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's so it's a real concern to us, um, and we hope that the government will act. Uh, what happens over Christmas is another another thing altogether. We don't know what the plan would be for that. Um, so we're 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 waiting. Uh, our service is also relatively limited in what we can do. Mm. Um, we're not a homeless day service. We 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 give people advice and information about the, the asylum procedure. Uh, and support once they're in it. But in this situation, we're, 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 our experience of the spring was that we, we're not able to support people. We don't have the resources, the space, the capacity, or really the experience to support people in this situation. Okay. Well, it's not a situation any of us want to be in. Unfortunately, uh, the people at the centre of this are in an impossible situation, and uh, I just can't imagine what it must be like uh, to live in one of uh, these countries having to flee, uh, let's say Ireland, if it was uh, speaking from a, a personal perspective because of conflict to, to another place, hoping for refuge and put on the streets and all that goes with that, uh, apart from the cold, but the danger uh, and so on. Uh, hopefully things will change in the near future. Nick, we leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us as always. Nick Henderson is the CEO of the Irish Refugee Council. A number of people in touch with us already about this issue. Uh, you're welcome to comment yourself if you wish. 0419832000 is our telephone number. Text or WhatsApp 086 658 Email michael at lmfm.ie 086-1800-658 Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it.
Now, Margaret says, Michael, why are these people coming to this small country? The government can only do so much. People have to be encouraged to stay in their own countries. Why are they leaving? Government here can barely sustain the population already on the island. Everyone has a right to a better life, but these countries have to learn to live in peace. What are, are these people running from? Ireland will run out of resources to sustain them. God help them, says Margaret. Thank you very much, uh, Margaret. I think there's a million and one answers uh, to your questions. Uh, but one springs to mind from a personal experience I had in the 1990s when I was in Albania and I was on the border with Kosovo and I was listening to the sound of uh, guns being shot, uh, executing people within ears reach uh, and in or around the um, same area across the border in Kosovo um, there was Kosovan camps. Uh, there were also uh, called rape camps. And I was speaking to many of uh, the women who came over that border uh, and told me that they or someone they knew had been raped and that their husbands, their brothers and their sons had been shot uh, and uh, they wanted to get out of Kosovo. I suppose that's kind of the type of thing we're talking about, Margaret. Um, I, I think that's the type of thing we're talking about. It's only one example. I, I think you could give a thousand million examples. Uh, somebody else says, how many more asylum seekers are going to come here? There's no accommodation, overcrowded hospitals, doctors. I'm not far right. Uh, I uh, have far more common sense. What is happening in Europe is unprecedented with all of the wars going on at the moment. But where is this going to end, says our caller? Uh, another WhatsApp message from somebody who says, why do the refugees pass so many countries to come into Ireland? Ireland is full. Uh, we did our part taking in over 120,000. Let's start looking at the 12,000 Irish people uh, that have no place to live. Uh, well, they're living in hotels and B&Bs and not being put on the streets. Uh, this was uh, something that uh, was raised on the programme yesterday. Um, we'd uh, Betty Daly in touch with us too. She says, Michael, uh, there was a Cade Mee LaFalcia in Ireland to everyone when we hadn't a pot to share, but the kids born in the 90s and 2000s wouldn't even share a bedroom with their own siblings. So how can they be expected to share their goodies with strangers? We're gone to the dogs here, says Betty. Thanks, uh, as always, for your message. Uh, another text from somebody who says the big tree in Clara Head is still vacant sitting vacant all done up about 10 rooms ready for weeks interesting Tony in Trim says Michael when is it time to say enough is enough too don't go into one Ireland is our own uh, 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 two won't go into one in Ireland I beg your pardon he says uh, there's Irish people in tents uh, making fish of one and flesh of another brings on tension as we've seen and Jim and Navin in touch about something completely different saying great win for the Irish women last night but also great to see supporters from both sides enjoying the game with no bitterness credit to the Northern Ireland supporters and it can only be good for relations between both sides on our island. Well as I say Jim thank you for getting in touch with us today uh, let's stay with sport and uh, we'll turn our attention now to the GAA and indeed GAA Go which has proven to be controversial up to now and uh, continues to be controversial because of its recent uh, announcements RTE last night and we saw the worst of it yesterday this notion of GAA Go putting so many matches behind a paywall. RTE would be wise to understand that in an effort to rebuild confidence with the public and expecting the state to fund its operations, putting so many games behind a, a, a paywall is wrong. I was particularly incensed by the comments of the president of the GAA yesterday, somebody who, who would do well to remember 
the role that he has. And it was recognised in this House by him being given an opportunity to address us. When he was asked if G what GAA Go made last year, he said it covered its expenses. That's the kind of obfuscation that's unnecessary. And then we had one of their spokespeople come on the radio this morning on Morning Ireland and tell us, well, we need to collect this money. Thank you. Because we need to build facilities. Most of that your, funding that goes into building those time. facilities is done by this stage. Thank you. And, and, and at the risk of causing the error of others, I think the point you made are very worthwhile. Um, as a Cork person, I'm very disappointed to see potentially four of Cork's matches behind a paywall. And I'm in favour of GA Go personally, but I do believe there's a conflict of interest with RT having, we're paying the licence fee one, and we're paying again twice to watch teams. But anyway, you made a good point. Senator Clonan, Gamalaska. But I do agree with you, Senator. And I shouldn't interfere, but I just can't help myself because it's, I think it's very wrong. Uh, that's uh, the Kerherlick of uh, the Shannon interfering as he put it Jerry Buttermer agreeing uh, for that matter with uh, Fianna Fáil Senator Tim, uh, Timmy Dooley uh, Tim Lompart had then uh, added to all of this I just want to concur with my colleague from Clare and your, your good self-chair about what's happening to GA I fundamentally oppose this proposal that's been brought forward by GA Go like it makes no logical sense in the Cork scenario in particular that three of the four games, or potentially four of the four games, are now going to pay for you. Like, the GA have lost their core principles. I was at an AGM of my local club last Thursday night. There was maybe 32 or 33 in the room. That is the GA. That is the community. That is the people that actually make sure the GA is working. What the corporate level are doing at the moment is absolutely sinful looking for 79 euros to go on a pay-for-you service to see these matches, or if you pay up before Christmas, you get a tenner off. Like, this is what we're actually talking about. This is the new Sky Sports in town. So this is really serious here. Why do they pick Cork? 600,000 people. Big platform, big money, big advertising. Let's not shy away from why they picked us. So we need to have a debate about where the GA goes as an entity. I am absolutely appalled at them. I think this is a disgrace that they've carried on like this. <clears throat> and Chairman, you're a J-man, I'm a J-man, many people here are J-people. But what the Cork J County Board need to do here is to stand up and not just lie down like they have. And there's a no responsibility in the Cork County Board here to do something about it. Because I've heard nothing yet to prove the point that they're going to stand up for the public. So, Chairman, I would like your support in that call, calling on the County Board to do something and to stand up for the supporters, because it ain't good enough what's happening now. And that's Fine Gael Senator Tim Lombard and Fianna Fáil Senator Lisa Chambers had this to add to all of that. Look, and I think we're all um, concerned with the direction that the GA is going and disappointed with the number of matches now that will be behind, will, will be behind a paywall for next year and the significant cost. You know, uh, the Thornish, I think, has been quite strong in this and has come out very strongly expressing his concern that the national game, um, that people are being prevented or blocked from watching it unless you can pay pay-per-view. It's a significant amount of some money and uh, I would be concerned that the GA might lose the room on this. Um, I think the initial idea behind GA Go was to allow people to watch the game when they're living abroad and keep keep the keep it alive and, and allow people to have that access. And that was a really good endeavour and well-intentioned. Uh, but it is it seems to have morphed into something else now. Um, and I think there are questions there to be answered. It might be an area that the, the, the Iraqis Committee on Sport might might delve further into. Um,
There you go. That's uh, Fianna Fáil Senator Lisa Chambers. Uh, a lot of criticism of both uh, the GAA and RTE and indeed uh, the paywall that doesn't work for a lot of people on GAA Go. Our phone number 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael at lmfm.ie. The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Well, as you've been hearing, Peter Fitzpatrick has uh, decided not to seek a fifth and final year as uh, the chairman of uh, the Louth County Board uh, that will be decided on Tuesday of next week at uh, the annual convention. Let's uh, speak to Colm Corrigan. Good morning to you, Colm, and thanks for joining us. Was this much of a surprise? Um, I wouldn't say it was a major surprise. There have been rumours in recent weeks that perhaps Peter Fitzpatrick, even though he was nominated to run for that final and uh, fifth year as chairman, uh, Michael, there were some rumours that perhaps he wouldn't seek uh, seek to run for that final year. And uh, it has been confirmed this morning in that newspaper interview that he's done with the uh, Drogheda Independent and uh, Argus. Um, the writing in the wall kind of in the last few days because word came through yesterday that he had stood down from the stadium committee. That's the, the, new, the revised stadium committee that was uh, formed uh, between... Uh, Crow Park and members of Loud, Loud of uh, five members on that, and Crow Park of four. So, uh, kind of from yesterday morning, it was looking uh, there, there were increased there was increased speculation that perhaps uh, Peter Fitzpatrick. The broader picture was that he wouldn't be going for the fifth and final uh, year, which which means now that, uh, presuming he sticks to his word, remember he did do a, a U-turn of sorts over the summer last July. You may have remembered he briefly stood down as chairman, reportedly stood down, and and then changed his mind and uh, decided to continue then as chair. But uh, provided he doesn't do a second U-turn in the next uh, few days, well his term will come to an end at convention next Tuesday night and that will leave one candidate, the only other nominee and that's Sean McLean uh, of the Hunterstown Club, so uh, bar, any, bar any late uh, hitches let's say you know, we always, you know yourself Michael, a week is a long time in politics, it can be a long time in sport as well, uh, but uh, presuming uh, Peter Fitzpatrick sticks to his word then there will be a new chairman elected next Tuesday night But you'd link this decision uh, to the ongoing controversy about the stadium? Yeah, I think a lot of people will be probably linking it all right now. There have been issues. Obviously, Peter Fitzpatrick, when he came in uh, at the end of 2019, um, he made it absolutely clear that the number one priority was delivering a new stadium for Loud. And he's got them to this uh, point, um, along with, with others as well, uh, over the last uh, number of years. Um, uh, but but problems have arisen, as you well know, in the last uh, number of uh, months. Crow Park uh, weren't happy about aspects of how Loud were proceeding. Uh, that happened in the summer and uh, Loud were almost ready to go as, as let's say and start work on the site and uh, Crow Park then obviously put the brakes on that and this revised Crow Park committee was formed then with direct input from Crow Park John Horn, the former GA president uh, chairing that uh, particular committee so uh, you know they're, they're on board alright but you know it's going to be done at a, a much slower pace than what uh, Peter Fitzpatrick would have envisaged uh, he had set himself the target of uh, being ready to play the first game in the new stadium when he set out uh, back in late 20- 2019, uh, the, the first game he envisaged uh, would be would be played in September 2024. So that's only that's that would be next September. So obviously that's not going to happen, Michael. You know, but it, it's um, as Crow Park have uh, have made it clear, it's this is going to be done on a phased basis. And loud remember are still uh, waiting for a large chunk of that money uh, to come through. Uh, the controversial and the much talked about IIP money. Now we do know when it has been confirmed that some of that money has uh, come through already in the last number of months but there's a large tranche if it still hasn't uh, been paid and we're still waiting for that obviously to, to come through. Uh, that will probably change the dynamic somewhat. Um, it's a total of what 14.8 or 14.9 million euro 
So I think when that's in the bank, uh, presuming it comes through over the next uh, while, uh, in the next few months, you know, that that would certainly be a major starting point. But as we know, costs have obviously uh, spiralled in the last while. The cost of everything has uh, gone up. That was an aspect that Crow Park weren't happy about, that the costings involved with the stadium, that how much they had jumped uh, since even this time last year into the uh, last summer. So that, that was an aspect they weren't happy about. Mm. Uh, but certainly, I, I think, you know, if they get that money through, it's it, it'll be a big one. But there will be still a lot of money still needed thereafter to 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 get this uh, stadium over the line, get it get it finished, or in, get it get it let's say into a, a playable position. Uh, but it's going to be done on on phases, and I think uh, Loud have no choice in that matter. Okay, so what next for Loud? Uh, will they be able to move on from this? Well, Sean McLean will be coming in. Um, you know, I say a lot of people would say it. You know, it'll be a fresh approach. Sean is a, a very experienced uh, man. He's uh, done great work with Hunterstown Rovers. He's been involved with Hunterstown the last uh, number of, of years and uh, a vice chairman of the county board as well. And perhaps it will be no harm. You know, a fresh approach, a, f- a fresh uh, set of eyes. Let's say on this whole project. It's it's not going to be an easy job. He's going to have to obviously try to. Uh, you know, well, he will have the support of Crow Park and that committee. But um, you know, they're going to have to secure more money from the likes of. Central Council from Crow Park Central Funds and from Leinster Council. Uh, it'll be hoped that that'll uh, come through, but it's, it's, it'll not. It'll not be an easy task, and it probably will be that whatever the remainder is. Now, remember as well, the stadium is going back out to tender uh, in early in the new year, so that'll have to be done. Uh, that process has to be gone through, and then we'll have a clearer idea of just how much exactly this is all going to cost. Like the last costing was in the region of twenty-five million euro. Whether the load can get a, a you know a price cheaper than that, or whether it's going to come in something similar again, there is going to be uh, you know a, a fair shortfall and it probably will uh, re- will need uh, probably more fundraising and more ideas to try and uh, make up whatever that shortfall is you know but I, I think uh, you know there's there's going to be no uh, no stadium any anytime soon it's going to be in a phase basis it'll be just doing bit by bit and whenever the money uh, the, whenever the money com- becomes available uh, so you know I, I think the original plan for for an opening in September 2024 uh, was I think somewhere some way off the mark but mm. looking back on Peter Fitzpatrick honest term you know he's done he's done four years I suppose one of his big legacies uh, wasn't so much the stadium he certainly got it up and running loud had, had nothing really you know when he came in first and he drove it on along with others um, that, uh, but one of the other big legacies would have been the fact that he uh, brought Mickey Hart in as manager Mickey Hart had only uh, finished up as Tyrone manager and within a few days uh, there was a sensational announcement back in 2020 was the, the end of 2020 that uh, uh, Loud then announced Mickey Hart as the new manager and uh, obviously we, we know the success that Loud enjoyed under the three years of Mickey Hart's stewardship, uh, but unfortunately that uh, that term came to an end uh, quite uh, spectacularly. Uh, not that long ago when uh, Mickey Hart left uh, the position and took up the Derry job but certainly looking back on Peter Fitzpatrick's term uh, bringing in Mickey Hart was would, would certainly have been uh, one of the, the, the big plus points I suppose himself personally mm. we, we have tried to contact him uh, we made we reached out to him yesterday morning but he hasn't returned our call unfortunately so uh, he, he hasn't he hasn't given us uh, any further thoughts on, 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 on looking back on his on his on his, uh, on his four years or, or, or what exactly his reasons are for, for not going forward uh, he, he could he he could have probably decided made his announcement a little bit earlier before the nominations closed a few weeks ago but he didn't do that so that meant there was two names left in uh, but we're assuming that there will be no change change of mind and that it, it will be a change of chairman and Sean McLean will be the man coming in next Tuesday uh, Michael Alright thanks for that Colm Corrigan Now if uh, you'd like to make comment on that or one of the other issues uh, we've uh, been discussing uh, this morning uh, you're welcome to call us 0419832000 
text or WhatsApp 0861800658. That's for a text message. Or if you want to text us on WhatsApp 0861800658 is the number. And as always, you can email Michael at lmfm.ie. 086-1800-658 The Michael Reed Show brought to you by Airgrid managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it Now as you've been hearing a man in his 40s has died following a house fire in Dundalk the Chief Fire Officer in Louth Eamon Wolf on the line just now. A very good morning to you Eamon, thank you indeed uh, for joining us. What more can you tell us uh, about uh, this uh, tragedy that uh, took place yesterday evening? Okay Michael, well first I'd like to express my sympathy for the family in the presence of that uh, unfortunate house. Um, at about 6 o'clock um, yesterday evening uh, we received a call house fire in the Avenue Road in Dundalk Dock uh, and RD fire services mobilised to the incident. When they arrived, it was a very smoky. Uh, you, you could hardly see the fire appliances. There was so much smoke around the house, but there was reports of a possible uh, person inside the house. So uh, the, the incident commander, he said, two two breathing apparatus teams and um, a fatality was found in a bedroom in the house. Uh, now that bedroom was was totally destroyed by fire. Um, we don't know how it happened, uh, but it may have been uh, either flashover or backdraft, which is very rapidly growing fire, uh, depending on the circumstances. Um, but I, as I understand it, the um, the guard scene of it seems a crime unit are, are at the scene um, investigating. Okay, the man was sleeping in bed at the time, was he? We don't know. Uh, it may have been the case, um, but uh, that room was, uh, the remainder of the house was largely unaffected, but that one room was very badly damaged. Okay. And that's where, unfortunately, that man was found. Dreadful. Nobody else in the house? Nobody else in the house, no. Okay. No. All right. And, uh, if you managed to put the fire out uh, under these tragic circumstances, and uh, I take it it's far too early to speculate on the cause of the fire. It's it, it, it's it's too early to speculate on us. Uh, as I say, that that bedroom was very badly uh, it was destroyed, uh, uh, but the remainder of the house wasn't. Um, and as I said, the, the, the guards are investigating it at the moment. Um, uh, but so we don't we don't know exactly what happened at this point. Yeah, as you say, a terrible tragedy, and uh, sympathies indeed to, to family and friends of uh, the deceased. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. That is uh, the Chief Fire Officer in County Louth, Eamon Wolfe. Now, as you know, uh, the Minister for Justice comfortably won what turned out to be a motion of confidence in Helen McEntee for how she's performing in that role. Uh, there was a majority of 20 TDs that voted in favour of the Minister. Prisons are now so overcrowded that Minister McEntee is letting criminals out on temporary release to make space for other criminals. Now, all of this has consequences. Crime, lawlessness are making no-go zones out of the city, city centres and villages around the country. Murders on the increase. Sexual assault has doubled in 10 years. Rape has doubled in 10 years. Domestic violence has tripled in the last 10 years. Serious unprovoked attacks are now commonplace. And there's also a direct correlation between the fall in the number of guardies and the level of increase of fatalities on the roads in this country. We have the lowest number of guardies policing the roads since 2009. 
behaviour is changing on the roads, and that has led to the increase in fatalities in the last number of years. And all of this before we actually get to the issue of the riots in our capital, the worst riots in generations. Now, I spoke to Gardaí on the day, and they told me that many of them were mobilised not by Garda order, but by other fellow Gardaí screaming on WhatsApp groups for help. They told me that they didn't get uh, mobilised until 6 and 7 o'clock, that they went to Santry. Santry was in pandemonium, that they hadn't enough helmets or shields or body armour to deal with it, that through traffic it took at least one hour uh, to get to the city centre. Garda lives were placed in danger that day. We were lucky that we didn't lose the life of a Garda uh, in that situation. And, you know, those images were beamed across the world of our capital in flames. The minister lost control of our capital city. The minister will win this. Uh, no confidence vote, not in a record, but because this government is an accountability-free zone. If there's no accountability, there will be no change. Right, that's Ain Tu's Peter Tobin, who voted against the minister. Uh, Fine Gael TD, Charlie Flanagan, and former Minister for Justice uh, voted for the minister. When Sinn Féin speak about law and order and the rule of law, it brings to mind loyal and dedicated members of Angarda Shirkana who were murdered by the Republican movement and indeed the bereaved families. I recall Garda Richard Fallon, Inspector Samuel Donegan, Garda Michael Reynolds, Garda Michael Tarkin near my own home, Garda John Marley, Garda Henry Byrne, Garda Seamus Quaid, Garda Patrick Reynolds, recruit Garda Gary Sheehan, Garda Frank Hand, Sergeant Patrick Morrissey, Detective Garda Jerry McCabe, Garda Tony Golden, Garda Adrian Donoghue. How many of these brutal murders of members of Angardashi Akana in the course of their duty have been condemned by Sinn Féin? How many were not? The record speaks for itself. Indeed, we remember Senator Billy Fox from our own political family. We will take no lecture from Sinn Féin on rule of law and law and order. Charlie Flanagan, who voted in favour. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
Labour of Minister Hannah McEntee, Sinn Féin's Matt Carthy voted against. No amount of mudslinging by this government will take away from the facts of their failure. There are fewer Gardaí on our streets and less Garda stations in our communities than when Fianna Gael came to power 12 years ago. And coupled with that, they have fundamentally changed how our communities are actually placed. When I was growing up, everyone knew the local Gardaí and the local Gardaí knew everyone. People felt safer. And that is no longer the case. The population has increased. Our towns have grown. And in response, Fine Gael have closed Garda stations and reduced Garda numbers, and they don't like to hear it, but Cancorla, they are the facts. And it cannot continue. We called on the minister to resign. She didn't. We cannot continue with a justice minister who has allowed our communities to feel increasingly unsafe. While she insists that our cities are safe, while in the daily experience of everyone who lives in, who works in, visits and runs a business there, says that that isn't the case. So we called on the Taoiseach to dismiss the minister, and he didn't. You may not like, you may not like to be reminded of your failures, but we will keep reminding you. And you may not like to be held to account, but we will hold you accountable. And you may refuse to listen to our communities and their concerns for public safety, but we are listening and they are telling us that they have no confidence in this government and in this Justice Minister. You might look down on us, but we will not let you look down or fail those communities that we represent. We will hold you accountable just as the people will get their chance to hold everybody who votes in this no-confidence motion accountable when the opportunity arises. Now that's uh, Sinn Féin TD, Matt Carthy, who voted against uh, the Minister. Fine Gael TD, Alan Dillon, voted in favour of Helen McEntee. Sinn Féin's conduct this evening is nothing short of a disgrace. Its party leader has knowingly misled this doll, which is a shame on you, Deputy MacDonald. This vote of confidence reeks of hypocrisy and opportunism. I stand in absolute support for Minister Helen McEntee, who remains dedicated to the Department of Justice in support of Angarda Siakana in their relentless pursuit to uphold law and order, while Sinn Féin shamelessly prioritise political points, Gordon. Instead of showing unity, and stability in the face of such heinous crimes witnessed on November 23rd, Sinn Féin choose to exploit the situation, to sow division, and in their words, to take out the Minister for Justice and the Garda Commissioner for their own political gain. Remember last Cancorla, Sinn Féin can never be trusted with law and order, especially when the influence of the IRA Army Council remains within their ranks. You see, Sinn Féin are a party with a dark history of condoning murder and terrorism, even against our own guardie and police officers. Your bullying, your vindictive threats, and your malicious lawsuits against anyone who opposes you unmasks your dictatorial tactics. In the face of your shameful actions, this government stands strong, defending those who work tirelessly to protect our communities. Your vote of no confidence is nothing but a cynical ploy and we will not be rocked by your divisive agenda. Right, that's Fine Gael TD, Alan Dillon. As you can hear, it was a particularly bitter debate.
uh, with accusations being thrown on both sides. Let's hear now from Sinn Féin's spokesperson on Justice Pa Daly. After 13 years of Fine Gael in government, there are less guardy in the streets, less guard stations, and in order to solve the problems of morale, loss of control and resources, the government and minister needs to acknowledge the problems. Instead, government spokespersons have engaged in distraction and delusion. Instead of solid proposals, we heard a drumroll of predictably tougher legislation. Strangely, the need for clarity on the use of force and a word Chillingly, the bizarre proposal to cut social welfare, as reported from your parliamentary party meeting, none of which would have prevented the unprecedented crime or the loss of control that happened on the 23rd of November. All of that has convinced me that this government is incapable of dealing with and solving the problems on our streets, incapable of making people safe, and the consequences are what we saw last Thursday week. It's clear that the government is out of touch, has lost credibility on these issues and, crucially, is not listening and the Minister is not listening. Right, that's uh, the Sinn Féin spokesperson on Justice Pad Daly. We'll hear from one other Fine Gael TD for the moment. This is Kieran Callum. Any examination of Sinn Féin's past always reveals some murky and sordid details, none more so than the details of the appalling treatment of rape victim Maria Cow. And in her book, Rough Beast, Ms. Cahill describes how the IRA used Sinn Féin's offices to question her about sexual abuse. And reading that book, we hear her words ringing out loud and clear. It is very strange to be sitting in the office of the most powerful men in Ireland and to be asked to give your opinion on whether a man should live or die. And despite repeated questioning, the leader of Sinn Féin has always refused to comment on the use of her party's offices to question a deeply vulnerable victim of rape. That, last Corla, is the hallmark of Sinn Féin, a party living a dual existence, a party that has no credibility whatsoever in seeking to remove a minister with genuine justice at the heart of her work every day. Finnegal TD, Kieran Cannon, and we hope to hear more from that debate uh, a little bit later on in the programme. It doesn't get much prettier, to be honest with you, if uh, you thought uh, that was cutthroat politics. We've more to come, as I say. If you'd like to make comment, 0419832000, text or WhatsApp 086-1800-658, email michael at lmfm.ie. Call Michael now, 0419832000. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by Airgrid. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Now we'll uh, talk about uh, something uh, quite remarkable uh, that happened in uh, the Shannon yesterday uh, when Senator Tom Clonan returned to the chamber. Uh, He had made a contribution uh, earlier in the day uh, about uh, a family uh, who he was concerned uh, about, but went back to his office in Lancaster House and heard a- another senator, an independent senator called Sharon Kyogan, make a contribution. And her speech related to a family from Bangladesh. Senator Tom Clonan was very concerned about what Sharon Kyogan had to say and it's quite interesting given that both of the senators are members of the same group. Senator, sorry, Senator Clonan. Sorry, Gomeska. Point of order. Sure, go ahead, Gormag, Canner. Sorry, I just want to raise a point of order. Uh, apologies for this. I, I was in my office and I heard a contribution here on the floor which identified a family from, from, a family from Bangladesh and the small town in which they are now living. 
small village. A small village. And I think that that sub exposes them to hostile scrutiny and possibly worse. And I think we, we, we should have a discussion and a healthy debate about immigration and the challenges that we have in relation to housing and accommodation. Absolutely have a debate. But I think, I think it is wrong and unethical to highlight one particular family in this way, given, given the volatile scenes we've seen recently. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm very upset by it. And I'd be terrified that, you know, that family and their children will be exposed to hostile scrutiny or possibly worse. And I'm, and I'm just asking the Cahill, do we have any scope to remove that from the record or, or how, how? Hey, okay, no, no, I'm going to... And, and it's no disrespect to no, the no, speaker I whatsoever. And yes, I'm going to deal with the first, I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to deal with the first point of order first. Okay. And I'm going to, sorry. Okay. I'll chair the proceedings, okay. if that's okay. That's okay. And I'm getting tired now of people trying to tell me how to do my job up here. Your point of order, first of all, is a point of order, and I accept it, and thank you. And could I just make the point generally to members in the House, as they've done before, and I did it earlier this morning at the, at the order business. Members are entitled to make points and to make contributions. This is a political chamber. Could I appeal to members that they should exercise great care in what they say, in how they say it, and I've made the point here before, and, and, and I'm going to say it again this morning, and I've been the victim as the chair on social media of some of the comments from the chair where I'm trying to uphold the rules of the House. And you are right, Senator Clunan, great care should be taken, especially by members in regarding people or persons who may be potentially vulnerable or identifiable, who are not here to defend themselves in some cases. So could I appeal to all members, irrespective of what you say or what your belief is, how you say it is very, very important. And I want to make that point again. And, and I am not having a row with anybody. I'm not having a, a, a discussion on anything. I'm asking members to take due care in what they say and how they say it. Senator Gogan, you have a point of order. Right. What happened then was all the more remarkable because Sharon Kogan continued to uh, make the point about this Bangladeshi family, which was of such concern to Tom Clonan that he returned to ask that what she had been saying would be removed from the record. So rather than uh, understand the reason for that was that because Sharon Kogan might have put that family in danger, she continued to repeat all of the things that she said uh, about that family. We'll take it up from there, though. On, on this, uh, this is a point of order. That's not a point and, of order. Uh, and point That's of order. The point of order is. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Senator, please, come and ask him. Please. Can I make That's not a point of order. If you Are you looking for guidance? No. That's not a point of order. That is not a point of order. That is not a point well, of if order. If you allow me to finish, I, 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 I've heard you've if made you a contribution. Allow, you've made a contribution. The point you should, you should, Senator, you, would you resume? Would sorry, you resume your seat, please? Sorry. Would you resume your seat, please? Apolog would you resume? Sorry, Senator, 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 Senator. Thank you. I've informed the concerned group Sorry, that they you must seat, please? embrace, your seat, please? embrace the show, immigrants that have Senator, come into their community Senator, would you show respect and that is the responsible thing have, to do sorry, as a community. Senator, would you please, and they have stopped would you please the protest resume your seat, in that please? facility. Would you please Thank resume you. your seat, please? 
That was not a point of order. You were not showing respect for the chair or for the House. And I've been very fair to all members of the House. And I don't like the attitude that's been prevailed that the chair is something you can bypass to, pr to promote contributions. I'm asking you to resume your seat. That was not a point of order. Please. Senator Lumbert, have you concluded? Are you to your next? Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Do you think that, fine, that last debate needs to be looked at, Chair? Thank you. All right, uh, Tim Lumbert weighing in on that. No, you were not listening to high school drama. That was uh, the Upper House of uh, Parliament and indeed. Uh, the concern uh, that uh, some of uh, the senators had about uh, Senator Sharon Kyogen, and indeed, I think clear the concern that the Kerhirlock had about the behaviour of Senator Sharon Kyogen. Tony in County Louth uh, in touch with us uh, today saying, Michael, on the matter of refugees and tents, etc., you yourself and your guest speaker, which would be Nick Henderson of the Irish Refugee Council, are quick to tell us of our obligations. But I would suggest to you that the UN Convention of 1995 did not foresee this new world order crisis situation and it was never intended for economic migrants. Um, well, it's still not intended for economic migrants, Tony, uh, as you well know. That's why people are deported and that's why more people are deported from Ireland than any other European country uh, because they go through a process and uh, then... Uh, it's their cases are adjudicated on and if uh, they're found uh, to be entitled to, to refuge that's what's given if not they are deported all in time it's a brutal system uh, and open to criticism and much criticism at that and indeed that's why we quite often hear criticism of the lengthy delays in uh, judging uh, and concluding these cases. Uh, we'd uh, somebody else in touch with us uh, about Peter Fitzpatrick uh, saying uh, Peter has one year to go and I think he has done a great job for Louth GAA. Louth never had its own pitch and uh, they're very close to it now, says Eamon of No Party. Uh, somebody else saying, Mike, when you go shopping and you go to the till, do you get the receipt and understand when you pay? Uh, do I'm, I'm lost on that one. I'm sorry. I'm not sure what that is. I usually do get the receipt and check it, yes. Uh, Tom Navin in touch. Uh, Michael, would you agree that all of our services are stretched beyond their limits in this country? So how is it safe to be bringing in more people? It's that simple, Tom says. We've had too many doctors, hospital schools, etc., uh, and then we're filling up the country. It's uh, not the way. I, I'm not racist, uh, says Tom in Navin. And I'm sure you're not, Tom, but uh, as Tony was saying, we have obligations. This was ruled on by the High Court in April uh, that we can't be putting people on the streets. That When people come to this country, there is uh, an, an obligation on us to provide them with reception conditions, to provide them with accommodation. Uh, that is just the way it is, whether we like it or not. And I think many people would say to themselves, well, I'm glad that the shoe is on the other foot and that it's not me or my brother or my sister who are having to travel elsewhere and rely on the charity and sympathy and generosity of others. Mick, thank you indeed uh, for your text to the programme. He says, the OPW are working in Cannon Street in Kells and I can't understand why there's no traffic lights on the street. There's people walking by, workers on scaffolding, working up 100 feet. If anything should fall... 
dread to think what would happen if somebody got hit on the head. Uh, thanks uh, for that, Mick. Uh, that sounds uh, pretty worrying. Uh, I think uh, maybe we could make contact with Meath County Council and ask uh, what the situation is there. Uh, but thank you indeed. Paddy Duffy in touch with us this morning. Very interested to find out what is happening uh, with Boris Johnson when he goes in front of uh, the COVID committee today. I think uh, we'll all be watching that with uh, great interest. Jerry and Navin says there are no wars in Algeria or Georgia, yet people from those countries are the largest amount of people seeking political asylum and almost all are men. Thank you very much uh, for that, Jerry. Why are there so many people who want to fight this argument, who want to prove that these men are coming here to take our jobs and our women and all of that sort of thing, or whatever it is. Uh, I mean, the whole point of it, Jerry, is is if they're not entitled to be here, they should be sent back and that they will be sent back. But uh, in the meantime, you have to allow the process to take place. And uh, apart from that, you have to look at other things like, uh, I mean, God love you if uh, you're in Algeria uh, or Georgia. Uh, and um, you're uh, part of the LGBTQ committee, often persecuted and tortured. Uh, or um, if you're a transgender, um, I mean, there is no hope for you uh, in, in a lot of these countries. Uh, you know, I was talking about Albania earlier on. I remember being in Albania years ago, just whilst uh, I mentioned it today, and uh, seeing uh, somebody walk a cow around a field trying to find bits of grass. There was no obvious way of making an income. Of course, there's economic migrants, uh, but I mean, that in itself is something to think about. Uh, Paddy and Terman Feckin in touch with us, uh, and uh, he uh, has done so on the passing of Rosemary Smith, RIP. Please tell listeners about her rally car museum at Bewley House. She even has one of her own famous rally cars uh, on display. And just to add a, a tidbit, her family owned Bewley House. And they've done so for 12 generations. Yeah, a real Irish hero, Paddy, uh, and a real local hero. And thank you indeed uh, for uh, texting us about that this morning. Uh, well well worth recognising a, a real uh, Irish icon, the late Rosemary Smith. Uh, if you'd like to make comment on our programme, we'd love to hear from you. 0419832000, text or WhatsApp 0861800658. And you can email michael at lmfm.ie. 086-1800-658 The Michael Reed Show brought to you by Airgrid managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it Now the 16 days of activism against gender-based violence continues until uh, the 10th of uh, this month uh, Today we see in uh, the Irish Times that the number of Garda call-outs to domestic violence incidents has more than tripled over the past decade. New data, the paper reports, of domestic violence incidents rising most dramatically in Dublin by almost sixfold in some regions of the capital. These are, or this is according to figures released by Angarda Siakana in response to parliamentary questions from Padre Bean, leader of AIM2 in Meath West. The paper tells us that in 2013, Gardaí were called to the scene of a domestic violence incident 13,000 307 times. That's across every guarded division in every region of the country in 2013. Just over 13,000. By the end of November this year, that figure is 41,115 times, meaning call-outs have more than tripled. Let's hear a little bit more 
about how Gardaí deal with victims of domestic violence. Detective Sergeant Laura Sweeney of the National Domestic Abuse Unit joins us. And a very good morning to you, Detective Sergeant. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. Those statistics are truly shocking, but tell a story that goes unseen for the most part, a story of people enduring violence and abuse behind closed doors. And you've first-hand experience of this. Is it, is it possible to categorise what domestic violence is? Um, well, depending on what agency you work for, but within Angarda Shikana, we believe that it's the financial, psychological, um, emotional, physical and sexual abuse by one person against another who could be a current partner, was a current partner or is a family member. And just, you know, that article you alluded to, uh, Michael, really does highlight, you know, what people are living with across Ireland on an hourly and daily basis. And it's not surprising that we are seeing an increase in reporting. And that's not because domestic abuse or coercive control or gender-based violence, whatever term you want to put to it, is actually only happening now. You know, sadly, this has been going on for decades in Ireland. And yes, it is as horrific and severe um, as you imagine. In a lot of cases, you know, it can be, you know, name calling, you know, someone feeling their partner has contempt towards them, um, maybe losing their temper. But not in all cases. If people have this view that domestic abuse has to be that black eye, you know, swollen lip. Yeah. Domestic abuse and course control happens long before that. And in a lot of cases, it might never reach the level of physical assault because the abuser has total control over their partner or family member. They may never need to rely on physical violence to have that control. Yeah, but uh, for Gardaí to have to go out to over 40,000 cases uh, in uh, 11 months of uh, the year, uh, apart from the appalling crime that it is taking place, it's an awful drain on Garda resources, isn't it? I think it's just, when you talk, it's not a drain and it's never, that's never the vocabulary or the narrative mm. we would have. Yeah, and you I know, understand It is that. the reality, mm. yeah. It's just that we're so keen to really respond because I really think there are so many people because, you know, they think they can't speak to anyone. Mm. They can't ring 909. They can't make that call because domestic abuse is a lesson in being quiet. Mm. Because, you know, everything about it, you know, people who are living with this, they're just constantly risk assessing and they never want to do anything, to, you know, to maybe release, you know, kind of tell anybody or disclose to someone because they never know how that other person is going to react. But I would just love to, you know, just reassure people, no matter how many calls we get, no matter how many times you have to ring, you know, we understand that what you're living with, there is no easy fix to that. And I always say to people, you know, it takes one person to strip, you know, a person of everything, of Mm. their freedom of movement, um, of their... uh, dignity of their self-confidence of their self-worth but my god does it take a village to kind of come together to help that person rebuild their lives and that village is the guards the criminal justice system society 
the amazing domestic abuse services mm. that are in, in Louth and Mead area. You know, it takes all of that to kind of help. So mm. I would just love to just encourage people that even if they don't, you know, because I appreciate it, it can be quite yeah. daunting to think about ringing the guards. And I, I just so that people know that if that's not something that they maybe feel comfortable with or they're a bit nervous about, definitely, you know, ring um, the domestic abuse services. Okay. They're just so amazing. And they'll get you to a place, mm. hopefully, that then you could think about, you know, ringing the guards. There's something reassuring uh, about you saying uh, that it's a village that comes together, that rallies around uh, as a community to help somebody out of uh, this uh, appalling situation that they may find themselves in. And when I say Adrenaline Garda resources, uh, I don't mean that in any way negative in terms of how Gardaí are responding, but having to respond to over 40,000 cases in the course of a, a year for the rest of us who don't understand the mindset uh, of the perpetrators mm-hmm. in this uh, really does raise questions about why is valuable police time necessary? And that's the point, that it is necessary to deal mm-hmm. with these people because they're subjecting others to such terrible things. When you talk about ringing the guards, uh, that is all the more complicated, is it not, when it comes to domestic violence? Because if the woman, because for the most part it is women who are victims, if the woman is ringing the guards, most likely she's calling the guards because of what her husband or her boyfriend has done to her. Yes, like the sad reality is that by the time someone's actually rang uh, a guard, the guards or a police force, they'll have endured a minimum of 34 incidents of abuse before they've even rang the guard. So this whole idea that people think, oh, you know, if they see a patrol car pulling up outside the house of an estate or whatever, they think, oh, gosh, you know, God, you know, this is just a family row that went wrong. That is not the case. Because what we've seen is that, you know, people who are living with this, they will do so much to try to de-escalate the situation appease the abuser and stop the abuse before they even think about ringing the guards. And what we see is actually when they do ring, it's actually at a crisis point that things have got really serious and they know that actually all those other coping Mm. things that I've done for the past weeks or months aren't working and I'm in serious danger here. And it is, you know, like when because there's so many things that the guards you know, can do. It is about offering support. It is about holding abusers to account. Like abusers, domestic abuse won't magically stop. If it is in a relationship, it'll always be in a relationship. And the only reason an abuser will actually stop what they're doing is when the consequences for them are too great. And that's where we come in. You know, there is, whether it's, and I I appreciate, I don't want to have it so daunting for people, but there is about, you know, taking reports, maybe statements, investigations, maybe supporting someone to go and get a domestic abuse order in the courts, which would have, you know, some behaviours prohibited, like using a threatened to use violence, uh, watching or, you know, coming to their home, you know, maybe following or communicating with them in a way that, it, you know, they aren't happy with. So there could be, you know, there is a few layers. So yeah. I always say that there's never one fix for, mm. you know, there's never this A to Z that you could apply to every single case. Mm. It's about the guards when they respond, actually speak with the victim and going, okay, mm. what is it you need now? How can we help you? And and while doing that, 
you know, trying to deal with the abuser as well in, in a very professional and robust way. But that's the only way it's really going to stop. There's no kind of, if, if, if there isn't any calls to the guards, you know, people kind of say, oh, things must be quiet. And I said, no, I said, things are far from quiet. It just means that the person, the victim, has actually fine-tuned their behaviours to ensure that things are kept calm. It's not because the abuser has altered their their stance or their behaviour. And if a woman is calling the guards uh, because her husband or her boyfriend is uh, abusing her, uh, if it's hard to do that, it's all the harder if he is the father of her children, of course. Oh, yes. Like, in a lot of cases, we, we see that, you know, there is love there, like, you know, partners love, you know, their partner that is maybe degrading them, insulting them, humiliating them. And they want, you know, they want the happy relationship. They want the happy home. And what we find is actually a lot of people will tell us, oh, if I could just go back to the beginning of the relationship, the beginning when it was so wonderful and was so amazing. And the awful sad reality is we would say, you know, that was the lie. That was the, that was the falsehood. You know, sadly, the person you're in the relationship with now or maybe sharing childcare with, you know, the abuse that you're being subjected to, even if it's low level, even if it's, you know, not escalating mm. to what people imagine the serious symptoms to be, that sadly is the real person mm. you're in a relationship with or have a home with. But you can imagine just all the, just all the waste that is on a person to mm. try to not just only deal with the domestic abuse but work and keep a home and mm. do the things that you and I, Michael, would, you know, not even think about. You mm. know, coming in after her day of work, kicking off your shoes, yeah. maybe, you know, starting the dinner or looking after kids or whatever. That just isn't, they don't have that headspace. It's all about this constant risk from that one person yeah. they, you know, share a home. It's control. Uh, 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 yeah. Maybe you, you tell me a, bit, a little bit more about that control and some of uh, the low-level incidents. And uh, I take it if you're talking about an average of 34 times before somebody takes the step of calling the guardie, that it starts off with some of those low-level incidents and escalates over a, a period of time and can worsen at other times when we're locked up together, as was the case during COVID. Uh, we heard of a, a significant increase in uh, the number of uh, domestic abuse cases and unfortunately that is probably true of uh, the Christmas period as well. Yeah, like sometimes like you would go through, like we would do a lot of investigations and at the start of it, there there is a lot of similarities. You know, it could be really intense, you know, this massive love bombing, even if, you, you know, people have met online, you know, getting this commitment you know, that we're in a relationship kind of locking someone in. Um, it could be maybe early cohabitation, you know, organising that they're living together very quickly, early pregnancy. And then there's kind of a rules and rituals, you know, that there's things that matter to, you know, the perpetrator and the victim kind of has to fall in line with it. It could be little tests, um, you know, where the abuser will try to set up kind of basically a situation to so that the, the partner, their girlfriend, uh, their boyfriend literally will drop something in their lives that is really important to them. Because when you look at the abuser, everything about them is their needs supersede everything else. It's mm. literally that level of arrogance of nothing else in your world is more important than what I want. Mm. And we do find, um, you know, we always say that with abusers, if you're in the relationship, you know, 
sadly, people can't just go, do you know what? I'm not really feeling this. Um, I'm going to break off this relationship. We always would say that literally when you're in a relationship with abuser, you're really locked into that until they determine nearly that the relationship ends. And I remember a colleague of mine actually uh, rang just about advice for about a case and he actually said he was dealing with a um, an offender. They were an interview and I remember this line and he actually read it out and the abuser said that when he met his wife you know, 25, 26 years ago, he actually said, I knew we'd be together forever. She didn't, but I did. And I just, I always feel that that exactly communicated what I've always kind of spoke about with my colleagues, that, you know, it's really intense. And, you know, and then kind of the red flags start to appear, you know, um, belittling you, degrading, insulting, or, you know, humiliating you, trying to isolate you from your friends or family. Um, you know, trying to just control activities or maybe finances, but it's all done in a really subtle way. Like if people mm. did that to us, you know, at a really early stage in a very overt way, yeah. we'd all go here. I'm, I'm done. This isn't the relationship for me. But they do it so uh, subtly, so cleverly that actually, in a lot of cases, for people, they're literally two or three years later, living with someone, having kids, and they go oh God, hmm. you know, I, I look back and I see it now. Because and it's normal at that I, stage. Yeah. It, it, being controlled uh, is normal. Uh, and I'm always very conscious when we have uh, these conversations on, on the radio that there's quite a possibility that somebody listening to us is in this situation because uh, so many people are. One four people in the country uh, at a minimum will... Uh, experience some form of uh, abuse during their lifetimes uh, but if if there is a, a woman or a man for that matter who's listening mm-hmm. to us uh, this morning you know if, whether they're being asked to, to hand over their phone so that it can be checked or told what to wear or who they can or cannot see or what they can or cannot buy or do with their money or if uh, they're being struck or beaten up uh, and all uh, uh, that goes with domestic uh, abuse a really difficult question uh, I think if I can ask you uh, is if that woman let's say uh, feels exactly the way you've been uh, telling us um, that she loves her partner uh, her children love their dad uh, it has to stop she can't endure it anymore but she doesn't want him charged doesn't want him prosecuted what should she do? Should she call the guards? I would say if someone is in immediate danger, you know, when you're talking about your physical assault, and like like I said, if that happens, you know, if domestic abuse happens, it's not going to leave. I would say absolutely ring us. If you're looking for a little bit of advice or support, you know, saying, I just, I don't want to break up the family, you know, I don't want to leave my abusive partner, but I just, I need help to absolutely contact the guards if they say look you know what I don't want to contact the guards um, I just you know there is a, a national helpline women's aid have an international helpline operating 24-7 if there's people we're from different nationalities and language is a barrier that's a 24-7 helpline can be translated into I think 147 languages if they want to contact you know the local women's refuge based in Navan, they can make that call there. Men's aid, like we say, one in four women are victims of domestic abuse. One in seven men are victims of domestic abuse. Men's aid and amazing service is based out of need. All I would like to say to people is, you are not alone. 
and you do not have to endure this on your own. You have done so brilliantly, you know, surviving this, because I do believe domestic abuse is the ultimate test of endurance. And I would just love to encourage people that there are so many different avenues to support people. And I would never say that it is an easy journey, not at all. And my colleagues in the domestic abuse service would say the exact same thing. However, trust me, you will not be able to live with this forever. You are losing pieces of yourself because that person wants you to lose pieces of yourself. They want you to feel you are going crazy, you're going out of your mind. And I would just hope that anyone listening today would actually say, do you know what, today is the day I'm going to make a call and I'm going to speak to someone who will get it, will understand what I'm going through. Women's Aid 24 National Free Phone Helpline is 1-800-341-900. That's 1-800-341-900. Detective Sergeant Laura Sweeney of uh, the National Domestic Abuse Unit, thank you indeed for joining us today. Michael at lmfm.ie The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Yes, and uh, I should have mentioned as well that LMFM is supporting uh, the 16 days of activism against gender-based violence and uh, you can donate to the local groups who are working on the coalface through LMFM's website. One way to deal with the abusers, uh, someone says, is to call the guards. My daughter was in a relationship and... Her mam told me uh, what was going on and he had to call the guards. Uh, she's not with him now. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, we're going to go back uh, to the debate in the Dáil yesterday uh, and indeed the motion against the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, uh, or indeed, as that turned out, uh, the motion in favour of Helen McEntee, the government motion, uh, the counter motion, uh, which was uh, to vote confidence in the minister. The minister won that vote by a comfortable 20 votes. Uh, and this is part of Helen McEntee's contribution to the debate. When I pick up the phone to ring the Garda commissioner or to talk to Gardaí, it's to offer support. When Sinn Féin pick up the phone, it's to call for the resignation of the commissioner. It's 12 days on, a week since the last debate, and nothing constructive has come from Sinn Féin benches. When people want stability, they want instability. Their mantra is to sack, sue and bully. Deputy MacDonald wants to fire the Garda Commissioner. Deputy O'Brien wants to fire civil servants who disagree with him. When we need calm heads, when our own citizens are in trouble abroad, they want to expel ambassadors. When journalists report facts freely and fairly, what do they do? They sue. Anyone in their own party with an independent thought is bullied until they comply or leave. It might surprise Deputy MacDonald to know that this is not an episode of The Apprentice. You can't fire your way out of a situation. It's a serious business that requires judgment and leadership qualities she and her party repeatedly fail to show. So let's ask ourselves, Ken Corlea, if Sinn Féin were in government, if Deputy MacDonald was Taoiseach, after sacking the Minister for Justice, after sacking the Garda Commissioner, who would she turn to for advice on security and policing? Would it be the same Republican family who said it was okay to ignore COVID rules for a political funeral? The same group of people she consulted before she unashamedly politicized policing in the past because it is nothing new. When Jerry Adams was arrested and questioned as part of the investigation into the murder of Jean McConville, she said that it was politically contrived. 
She immediately sought to undermine the Commissioner when he was appointed in 2018. And now again, Sinn Féin attacks the Commissioner and Argardi again, time and time again. And I will quote a line that I know Deputy MacDonald will know because she quotes this poet regularly. When someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. No matter how they try to fool the Irish people, their first instincts are still the same. Undermine and attack Argardi. So disunity and division when people want unity and when they want leadership. The Minister for Justice, Helen McIntyre. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. Listen back to the Michael Reed Show podcast on lmfm.ie or the LMFM app. The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.